This morning we're preaching from the 49th chapter of Isaiah, another one of the servant songs about the servant, the Messiah, the anointed servant that set the captives free for salvation of those that are in captivity. And we're looking at that, that he was talking about after they came from the Babylonian captivity. But we know we need to apply the word of God to our everyday life and to each and everything that's going on in our lives. We're to assimilate God's word and to walk as Jesus Christ walked so that we would be those lights that helped set those captives free. Uh, the title of the message is Sin is a Cruel Taskmaster that Holds Us in Bondage. I was focusing on the 49th chapter in the ninth verse that says that thou mayest say to the prisoners go forth to them that are in darkness show yourselves they shall feed in the ways and their pastors shall be in all the high places as Jesus came and he looked out over the people he seen them in bondage and it was some that he was going released from this bondage through faith through the preaching of God's word that prayers had been heard and he had came with the word of God to loose them from their bondage and from the anointing the spirit of God that sets us free we know the anointing breaks the yoke let us not think that at this time Jesus was concerned about physical bondage because we see he didn't remove slavery. He didn't remove a whole lot of the things that the people uh, was looking at in their physical lives. But it had so much spiritual implications. He says, by his stripes we were healed. And that in Luke, the fourth chapter, when he quoted coming from the book of Isaiah, the 61st chapter, He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had set me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he handed the stroll back to the synagogue master leader and he didn't finish it from there but in his second coming he had a, a further work to do in that second coming and in that second coming when we studied that chapter we looked throughout it it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance and to comfort all those that mourn That's the balance of that second verse. He didn't complete that verse. He says the day of vengeance of our God because as we see that captivity, releasing from captivity also brings the judgment of God, the vengeance of God upon those that hold us captive. In examining this chapter, you see it says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people, from far the Lord had called me from the womb from the bowels of my mother had he made mention of my name and setting the captives free said and he made 
had made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand had he hit me, and made me a polished shaft. In his hand he hit me, in his quiver had he hit me. A quiver is something that holds the arrows, and you pull the arrows and use them, but he said he had made my mouth a polished shaft. We know the, the word of God is what helps set us free, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the word of God. You have to be a preacher that's sent to loosen the captives that are held bondage. He gave Peter that authority, that power. But it wasn't just Peter's, the whole church, the power of loosening and binding. And it takes the anointing to break the yoke. So a lot of times if you hear preachers preaching and they're not a true, true preacher of God, they can bind you maybe to their ministry or to their teachings, to false preaching and teaching. Because he told his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. For the leaven of the Pharisees, the doctrine of the Pharisees contained leaven. So we see all religions today, all of them originated or came out of the true religion. But they've taken different pathways. Pathways that bind you into things that's philosophies of men's that bring addictions on to you and doesn't loosen you from the things of the world. Because if you're in the world, this microcops of the world, this microcosm, it's a Babylonian world that's owned by Satan. A lot of people not under the reality that this is Satan's world that we're in and God calls us out of the world. He calls us out of Babylon, calls us unto him himself. Not geographical, and just like I said, it's not physical bondage that he was concentrating on, but it was spiritual. And the calling out of the world is a spiritual coming out of the world. It's not moving away from where you are, but it will loosen, it will loosen physical and things that hold you into this world because we must leave the love of this world. But if we look at verse 8, there it says, Help comes through prayer. Listen at this. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause the inherited their desolate heritage. Here we see through prayer that God had heard this voice, heard this cry for help. Just like in the book of 1 Kings, the 8th chapter, when Solomon said, when your people that are scattered throughout the world, and we know there was going to be a scattering of God's people, and that's what we're concentrating on here, the scattering of God's people throughout the world, that God would call them back to a central locality. That central locality is in himself, just like the worship place of Christ that was built, the sanctuary that was built in Jerusalem. He typed that as a type of Zion. We see when he says Zion, he's talking about Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, which encompasses the whole earth. The Jerusalem of God that cometh down from above this is the new heavens and the new earth. 
So that's why I said, let's not just think physical. Let's not be earthly minded that Jerusalem is some place over in the Middle East or whatever. No, that that's, was a shatter in a type. But the new Jerusalem that coming down that we are a portion of, that we are jointly fit together, is that of Jesus Christ, that of God, that mountain of the Lord's house. When he say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord's house, we see he placed a central place of worship to, in which to, we were to go. And that's not throughout the world. We're not getting on planes or anything headed to the Middle East or whatever. For you worship the Lord in spirit and truth and not from one mountain or place as he told the, the Samarian woman, but they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. So all of the different places that the people of God, he says, they'll feed in pastors along the way. So any sanctuary, anywhere that the word of God is preached is one of the mountains or places of God that we go to to hear God's word preached. He's going to eliminate all false religion, all false beliefs, all apostate churches. So we can't forsake the assembling together of ourselves of hearing the word of God at a local assembly or whatever. You need to belong to a local assembly because that's the type of sharing of the church is a local assembly that preaches the word of God and it's not self-sufficiency being off on your own or whatever and not attending to the word of God or being obedient to the word of God. That brings punishment. That's the same thing what happened with Adam in the beginning, how the earth got sold from under him is through disobedience to God's Word. This is all about the Word of God, something said. There's power of life and death in the words that we say. And we see that he said he had a polished tongue. Our words, God give us faith-filled words that we would speak the Word as he told Peter, how would you like that to have that which you say? So you have to learn to speak the right words. Not words of foolishness or vanity or with railing accusations or with tail biting and gossiping and all of these other things. So we have to learn to travel through this earth and it's our job. It's encumbered on earth. But then it's not a job until those that have been called by God that are born again because the liberty that we are enjoying to the liberty of the children of God. You want someone else to have that freedom. Yes. You can't wait to tell someone else. That's the good news that Jesus Christ had died and he had set us free. We're no longer captive to this world, none of things of this world. Now that's a message that this world is going to try to suppress. It's a message that will be suppressed. It's a message that works contrary to the world and the things of this world. Because we were shaping in a fallen world. David realized this. Listen to what David said in the book of Psalms, the 51st chapter of Psalms, and the fifth Psalm, he says, I was brought forth in a state of wickedness, in sin my mother conceived me, and from my beginning I too was sinful, shaping in iniquity from in the womb. That's when the iniquity began. That's when you were shaped. That's physically. Yeah. 
See, but we see where he says that some of us in the womb, that first verse, listen, O isles of other people. That is, in other words, Gentiles and Jews, all people. It says, from the bowels of my mother womb had he made mention of my name. So there were some that were in their mother's womb that God had chosen from the foundations of the world to be holy, to hear that call, that predestinated, you're predestinated to become the sons of God. And the book, that's according to the book of Romans, that we were predestinated, we were chosen from the foundations of the world in the book of Ephesians, that we would be holy, and it was a purpose why God created us. Now, I can't, you can't speak for everybody because there are different two seeds in the earth. So some God hadn't chosen, but those that God had chosen, he gave the Christ. This is a promise, and all this is built upon the promises of God, and this is the word of faith that we hear that was all the way back in the beginning when he promised this to the woman. See, the woman didn't know how this was going to come about. She thought it was physical because when she got in Cain, she said, I've gotten a man-child. But we see that promise was washed in Enoch when he killed Enoch. When he killed, when Cain rose up and killed Abel. When God, it looked it like throughout that that promise wasn't going to be fulfilled. You remember they killed Jesus Christ. They killed the prophets. So he says, he says, did I labor in vain? Listen at the fourth, third verse, he says, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I have begotten. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. And in vain, yet surely, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with God. How many times have you labored like Elijah labored? And he said he was the only one. He thought he was the only one working for God that he didn't see the fruition of his work. A lot of times we work, he says, don't grow weary of well-doing, that you will be rewarded. It takes faith. Abraham didn't see the end of his, the promises of God, that faith. But he was the father of faith. A lot of times it looks like we're toiling in vain. And see, Jesus Christ, it looks like it, his ministry had come to naught. You remember at the end of his ministry? Of all the thousands he had healed and did miracles for and preached to him, many of them, when he, as he preached the word, they turned and would not follow him. It was whittled down from thousands to only 120 in that upper room. Sometimes it seems as though we're laboring in vain, but God multiplies that. If we read this chapter here, we'll see where that seed was multiplied and though that you hope the dreams the children will kill off along the way, that they'll be so plentiful, God will send the captives as we pray. And you remember he said, I told you about Solomon in that eighth chapter. He says, when your people are scattered and they realize they sin and they confess their sin and they pray unto you, they pray toward this place. He was talking about the temple. When they come into the church, when they pray toward God, pray at God and make prayers. God will hear them and answer that prayer. He'll release them from captivity. He'll restore them. 
there'll be a restoration to sonship as the prodigal son was restored to sonship. That God will multiply you. He'll cause your seed to increase. He'll send more laborers into the vineyard and you'll say, Lord, who had gotten these? Who had brought these forth? We'll see that in this world, it seems as though we're twirling and we're captive. And that's part of the tribulation process that produces that hope in us that brings us a confident aspiration in the Lord, that eternal life that we had sinned against God in that what had held us captive was our sins, our transgressions, those things that we had sinned in. Uh, 2 Corinthians, the 4th chapter, 4 through the 6th verse says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who has said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's that light that so shines out of darkness. You remember, it was darkness upon the earth. So it was something that had happened in the beginning to bring the darkness upon the earth, to bring the evil in the way the earth was, the earth was dull, it was void, it was dark, it without, was without form. But we know sin, Satan had brought it that way. But that's some of the hidden manner that we don't learn in Genesis or learn right away. But we know that God had to move upon the face of the earth. It says the Spirit of the Lord brooded upon the face of the earth. When that Spirit moved, he says, light be." That light shine out of darkness and God established through creation, all of these things. That God is still creating. That's the God that caused Jesus Christ, caused that gospel to that Jesus Christ would come in. He had given him as a light unto the world, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the whole world. You remember last week we studied and it says, the light that lighted all men. It's him that gives us light. He's that candlestick that lights the rest of us. He sets us ablaze and we're to be lights in the world and to let that light so shine that men would see that light and give God the glory. In other words, it would raise an inspirational hope in them of that Savior because in His image we want to be like Him. Now, notice that Corinthians says now that there were those that were in darkness and unbelief. Because of a lot of your brothers and sisters, a lot of the friends and relatives, you remember Jesus said, he had bring, come to bring a sword. Yes. So Joseph had to be very careful because his brothers was evil and wicked. And they said that he brought an evil report. Well, why did he bring an evil report back to his fathers about his brothers? Because their deeds were evil. They had done evil. You better watch your brothers and sisters. You'd better watch your mothers and, and your fathers. You better watch your sons and daughters. You better watch your friends. You'd better watch yourself. That's the worst enemy is right there within you. Yes. Remember I told you, we will carnal soul under sin. Yes. 
Satan holds the souls of this world captive to the lust of the flesh because the flesh of the carnal man is at enmity with God. In other words, he's an enemy of God and he has to be brought back into fellowship and reconciliation with God. He has to be put back into right standing with God. James in the first chapter of James, the 13th through the 15th verse says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws, our iniquity, the sin that lies in us, whether it's dormant or active. It says, For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he's dragged away and enticed and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desires. That's why you better be careful what you're looking at. That's why it's not good sitting there looking at television and it's creating the lust in the, of the world. Look, sit there and look at a cooking show and see once you start desiring all those things or whatever. You sit there and listen at rap music or different country western music or the blues or any type music it can become perverted because you're carnal. I was watching it's a show QVC or whatever it is or the Home Shopping Network and Amazon, all these things. It can become a, it can cause covetousness. And the eyes want everything it sees. The eyes never grow weary of seeing. That's how the lottery is designed. The bigger that jackpot, the more people try to get into it. Quick riches the things of this world. Then when that illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. That's why Jesus was talking about he who looketh after a woman to lust after a woman had committed adultery already because he has nurtured that in his heart. Anything that we sit in a heart. That's why Eve, when he, she looked at the tree, and saw it was one that was desired to make one wise. She, that's why Satan said, look at that tree. Look at it. The other point there, it says constant warfare is being waged from within us. That battle is raging strong within each and every one of us. That's the one we have to put to death itself, as I said. James says in the fourth chapter, first and the fifth verse, he says, what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among them? Do they not come from desires that wage war within your members, fighting for control over you? Those desires, what we want, I, what we put in our mind, those lusts and desires causes the problem. That's why I said this is spiritual and not just physical, it's in the mind. That's why we have to bring every thought into the captivity and obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Casting down imaginations and every thought, all of this has to be cast down because that's where Satan getting your thought life. That's why he destroyed the old world, he says, in the book of Genesis because the thoughts of man was continually evil. And God says, I'm going to destroy this world. Our thoughts are not like his thoughts and our ways are not like his ways. 
you're being fought over to be controlled and your body is trying to bring you in subjection. He says you are jealous and covet what others have. Your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You cannot just physically murder. You remember I told you, it's not just physically. My cousin talked with me yesterday, called and talked with me yesterday or whatever, uh, and he talked a whole hour and something. After I got off the phone, I told my wife, I said, well, that's a whole hour and something of my life. I'll never be able to get back again. I told him, I said, well, you sure do use a lot of foul language when you're talking. A lot of accusations of things that he's saying or whatever. He was constantly squirming, and each thing that he said that was contradicting himself, or each thing that he was saying or accusatorial, or each thing that he said was born from gossip, or each thing that he would twist and turn, he and it's like the people in the world. You can't pin them down. He's like a trapeze or Houdini. He's going to try to get out of everything, trap or snare that his mouth says because by your own words you're condemned. His own words was condemning. So we have to give account for every idle word we say. That's why we have to be of a few words. So we can murder with the mouth. We could. And that, that's what they did Jesus when they couldn't win talking to him. Then they started making out of accusations and they called him Beelzebub and wine vipper and gluttonous and said he was born of fornication. He says you are envious and cannot obtain the object you envy so you fight and battle. You do not have it because you ask not of God. If God doesn't give it to you, that means you don't need it or you're asking amiss. Uh, it's something that shouldn't be there. That's why I say everything through prayer and supplication, the request has to be known, be made known to God. He says you ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives. Why do you win, want to win the lottery? Why do you want to win so much money? Is it to consume it upon your own lust? Is it for personal use? What reason, what motivating you to spend money? What motivating, why do you want that wife? Why do you want that new car? Why do you want anything? That's why I said, it's everything. We are in bondage. There's addiction. Jesus Christ comes to bring that addictive nature of man. That's why I say we are in bondage. And it's not just physical bondage. It's bondage our mind has us in the bondage because it's carrying us throughout to the things in the world. We lust for the things of the world. You remember I told you, the eye never grows tired of seeing and lust the gap of that that it sees. He says you act with wrong motives out of selfish or with the unrighteous agenda so that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your desires. You adulteresses, that is, disloyal sinners, Flirt with the world and breaking your vow to God. Do you know? Do not? Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is, loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? If you love the world, you're an enemy of God. He says, "Love not the world or the things of the world," so because you're in direct violation of God's word. He says. We shouldn't be controlled by the weak and beggarly elements of the world. 
and you bring yourself back in the bondage of those. Wealth brings you back into that bondage of those things. Poverty brings you back in bondage of those things. That's why Agar in the book of Proverbs, she says, make me not wealthy unless I forget about God or let me not be too poor unless I curse God. There has to be a balance in there. That's why Paul says he'd learned to be content with such that he has. So so whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose that the human spirit which he had made to dwell in us lust with envy? The spirit that's within man, that's that's what has to be put to death. Paul talked about it in the book of Romans about dying daily and putting the body, putting the self to death. You have to buffet the body. You have to learn to deny yourself. You have to crucify Put the old man to death. That old man is your problem, the outward man, the flesh, the carnal man. I pray, I start praying last week each day. Lord, curb my appetite. Help me not to lust. Help me not to be a gluttonous. Help me, Lord God, to overcome this. I, I, and I pray that all, all the time. Now, please help me because I, I can't do it. Help me not to allow things to come into my mind that I, I can't control these things and I, I, I look, go after them. The second point here, sinful desires. You have to realize, that's why it says once you come to the knowledge, he starts waking you up to these things that are going on within your members. That the real enemy is within us. The book of Romans, the seventh chapter, tells us the real enemy is there because we have to be born again. That's why I say it has to come from the outside exterior. Uh, we will go uh, uh, give my sister the right hand of fellowship later on today to bring her into the church. And I've been trying to talk to her off and on. You know, he's, not a, you don't, you, it's like a child eating. You don't give it too much at one time. You give it a little bit to condition it. But we, you, you, your motivations and everything is tested over a period of time. But you remember I was telling you about those things that's within all of us. And when, once you God gives you a desire to join the church and become a member of his body, you have to check and see what's motivating that. You have to see if it's God-driven because sometimes it's just self-assurance or, or some, things, some other things. And we can't question that. It's not up to us to question that. All we can do is like you do with anything, let things in life run its course. And so Paul saw this in itself, and I hadn't heard much. Well, I don't follow in those tracks from Jimmy Swaggart as much as I used to or whatever. But he had this wrong, and that's why I stopped really listening to anything he said, because Paul talked about this in he said it was a pre-conversion experience, but it wasn't. And everybody, most of the preachers and teachers I've talked on, and I can kind of know on now that this isn't just a pre-conversion. This was after Paul was converted. Listen at what Paul says. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So that means it has to be after he converted because the inward man is the new man, the new nature that he gives us. His spirit that he gives us to dwell in us. 
that comes to shine that light within us, we first have to get our house in order. We have to allow that light to shine in us and get that darkness out of us, get the wickedness out. It says, physician, heal yourself. We have to have clean hands to serve the Lord. So he says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law within my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul, now that the Spirit comes in, he can say, hey, this thing is within my members. It's like arthritis or something. It's in my blood. Man's blood is tainted. It's tainted with sin. That's why he gave the promise to the woman that the Spirit, his Spirit, would come in and it would overshadow our spirit. That old man, you need to put him to death. You have to die to self. Now you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll gain your life. So that thing, you can see it within you. Here's the enemy, and here I am, and this thing, I don't, Lord, help me. How can I deal with self? He says, oh, wretched man. That's Paul saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The whole body. That's why when it's all over with, he's going to give us a new body. We will get rid of this old corruptible body. This body that that can think the wrong thing. This body that lusts. All of the things in this. But we must put it to death. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. That's, That's a dichotomy there. That's two beings Two things within one. I'm serving the law of God mentally or spiritually, but this is more about more than mental assent. You can't just know the Word of God. You have to be a doer of the Word of God. And see, to be that doer, we have to practice by the usage because the Spirit working in, in us both to will and to do. So we have to become doers of that Word. So he said, So I find it to be the law of my inner self that evil is present with me. And in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully delight in the law of God in my inner self, that is with my new nature. But I see a different law and rule of action in the members of my body, in the appetites and desires. Sometimes I eat and I've just eaten and Lord, don't let me see somebody else with this or this just before me, and now I'm lusting or wanting to eat, and I'm, I, I, I don't need to eat. I just ate. I, something is not telling me you don't need that. You just see that. You don't need that. You want that. You desire that. So you, you have to have something, and a lot of diets and fads that come out, and people use Ozempic and different things to lose weight, all kinds of chemicals. But the Spirit has to overcome these things. That's the true answer. It's the Spirit has to cast this out. To, because it's bringing you in captivity so you could become a bondage to chemicals, to alcohol, to drugs, to, like I was saying, to Ozempic, or a lot of the weight loss medications, or things that don't... It's bad to become loose from one thing and brought into bondage to another. And that's why I say sometimes preachers are 
preachers can bring us into bondage. Now we can't do without that preacher or what that preacher is doing or saying. And we're not a bond servants of Jesus Christ. We're following a preacher. We're tied to that preacher. We can't be tied to man. We have to be tied to God. He came to loose us from any idolatry or anything that causes us to be in bondage or addiction. He says, Waging war against the law of my mind and subduing me and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is within my members because that's how I was born. So you can't blame it on natural selection or whatever. You're born to die. And if you continue on in that course you're in, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ had came to free you from that bondage, to give you the glorious liberty of the children of God so you no longer fear death because you won't die. He's given you eternal life through obedience to him. He says, wretched and miserable man that I am, who will rescue me and set me free from this bondage? It is Jesus Christ. The third thing is bondage. Bondage. Those carnal desires within us have to be put to death. They are very lethal to the body. It's a poison that we will die from. It's like old age. You know, old age and time came through sin. See, God didn't bill us that way. Death, a lot of people say he died a natural death. Nothing is natural about death. It's the course of sin. Those are the wages of sin. It's death. Liberty and life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's spiritual. That's why we have to be born again. Because if you stay on that course, you will die. And if we stay in this world without Christ coming back, we will go to sleep. It's different from sleeping in death. Those that are sleeping in Christ, he'll raise up. He can wake them up. He awakes us. First John, the second chapter says, And so I say to you fathers who know the eternal God and to you young men who are strong with God's word in your heart and have won your struggle against Satan, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers for you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all of these worldly things, that is, these evil desires, the craze for sex, for the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God, they are evil from the world. There's a balance there. We're not talking about just natural desires within themselves we're talking about the motivations that the mental aspect of that all of those things are of necessity but we have to have the correct motivation in acquiring and pursuing after those things it says in this world this world that we pursue after the things of the world it says in this world is fading away and these evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. For, let me put that in St. King James, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's what he came after Eve with. The lust of the flesh, 
Look at that tree. Doesn't it look good? The pride of life that we'll be like God, that we'll know just like God knows, and the lust of the flesh that it tastes good. It's, you can consume this. That's what's in the world. But we have to break free from those things, and the Spirit breaks us free. That's the captivity that the Spirit loosens us from. Romans 8.21 says, Even that creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain an interest in the glorious freedom of the children of God. In other words, Paul says, The whole creation waited for the manifestations of the sons of God to where trees don't drop their leaves and die. There's no more death in the world. There's no lamb running from a lamb. You, you won't be able to watch the Discovery Channel and some of these nature films where one animal is convulging and eating the other animal. Pit bulls fighting and going off. All of these killer instincts will be taken away because he says they won't hurt or kill in all of my holy mountain. In other words, this this the whole creation was subjected to this fertility due to man's sin, due to man's fault. The lion, the lamb will be able to lay down with the lion because that nature of eating meat and that nature of eating be, being carnivorous will be taken away. God removes that. It was only subjected to that futility because of man's fault. Man's original diet before he went aboard, aboard, aboard the ark Remember, after he came out of, out of the ark, God explained to Noah the things that could, he could eat, the things that were unclean and the things that were unclean. We don't need to go through that now. But that was because man was carnal, but God was seeing what man obey God's rules and laws. But he couldn't. That covenant failed also. That was a that was part of the old covenant. And there's a much greater covenant. This greater covenant, this new covenant, goes back to the garden where he made man herb eating. In other words, you remember he told man, I give you every herb bearing seed? See, that's what we were made. We weren't, wasn't at the beginning given to be meat eating. That's why the diet that he gave man in the wilderness, that their feet didn't swell or whatever, because along with eating animals and different minerals and things, came blood-borne pathogens as arthritis, gout, and different things that caused problems with your vision and all of these things. But this new covenant, now you remember, this takes, this will take more than one lesson to go through because I'm not saying here food commends you to God. That that's that's a whole different type and shadow out of the Old Testament. The first to go into captivity of the world and the first to go into captivity, as I was telling my cousin yesterday when he was talking about cooking and everything, was a rich man's world. You know, that's why a lot of people have gout and different diseases and things and they tell you not to eat a lot of meat that's high in marvelous saturated fats and things. Uh, the Samuel sons was eating the finest portion of the offerings or whatever and didn't want their meats boiled, 
broil and they would take it from the people, the wealthy people. That's why it tells you about eating too much red, red, red meat. The ones that are in luxury and thing, Nebuchadnezzar took them into captivity first. The book of Amos, the sixth chapter and the seventh verse, tells us, Therefore they will now go into exile with the first of the captivities, and the cultic reverie and banqueting of those who lounge around in luxury will pass away. Well, Jesus, yes, they were the first to go in captivity. Those that joined the church, that's why I say, what is your motivation for joining the church? What is your motivation for being in church? Is it just insurance and you just come in, but when you leave church, you're not living according to what you've heard. The word of God is not active and has no power in your life. You become a Laodicea, the Laodicean in the world. And the Laodicean is one that was rich, one that was wealthy. And it says, if anyone has an ear, uh, let me, the Laodicean says, because thou says, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. They hadn't been spiritually converted, but they were wealthy. They were in church, but they were unconverted. And God does deal with those in church that's not converted. Remember, judgment begins at the house of God. There are some that God will condemn sin in the flesh now. That's what I say. So no matter where you're at geographically, he condemns that sin spiritually. You understand? So you can be in the church and be condemned. Revelations 13, 9 to 10 tells us of this. He says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, he will go into captivity first. If anyone kills with a sword, he must be killed with a sword. Here is the call for the patience, endurance, and the faithfulness of the saints those which is seen in the response of God's people to difficult times. When he told Peter to put up thine sword, in other words, physically, you're not allowed to kill your enemy because God says, God's word says, does not do not kill. See, sometimes you have to be killed, and that's what he's talking about in this 13th chapter, that he had given the world power and authority to kill God's people because he wanted to see who was going to be faithful to him and obey his commandments or whatever. See, under the Old Testament, the preachers preached an eye for a tooth and a tooth for a tooth, evil for evil, and you did this and you did that. That's not so under the New Testament. Jesus says, pray for you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and say, see, so it's a new dealing to be released from captivity because if you deal with your enemies the same way, you're still under bondage and the light hadn't came into your life. This last point, the fourth point, the deliver the into the light. Light shines out of darkness, so God's light comes in to give you the light of the word to empower you. That's the power of the gospel. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one that commanded Jesus Christ into your life to where now you have the boldness to preach as Peter, but you have the, the wisdom of, of the serpent, but you harmless as a dove. Yeah. In other words, the power is in your words. The power was in the boldness of the words that 
Peter preached, but notice that Peter allowed himself to be crucified. Notice that the power of life and death to polish this is in the words. He had delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his marvelous son. Uh, into that kingdom in which we can speak the words and we know that if anything happened to us, that's part of God's will because I'm being led by the Spirit of God and I don't act contrary to the Word of God. For if anything that becomes visible is light, once you put on that stage, once you start getting that 15 minutes of fame and start awakening, men will start watching you. Just as they watched Apostle Paul who was going around, he was a so-called Christian, I mean a church of God believer, but he was under the law. And he was killing Christians and delivering up Christians in bondage until he seen the light. Until that light shined on him in the, on the Damascus Road, he was conducting Christianity the same way the Christians today was conducting Christianity. And that's the wrong way. Now notice what Paul did, and he did when he got the light shined on him and he understood the gospel. He had knowledge and power in his life. He was preaching to the Jews, just like Paul, I mean, God told Peter, when thou art converted, go back and preach unto thy brothers. In other words, reaffirm this. And that's what you try to do. You go back and preach to your family and you, you, you want your people saved. But they have to listen at the word of God. You see, I don't know if Joseph's brothers was converted or took note of Joseph because after the death of the father, they still was conniving and they lied on the father and said, well, dad says, forget about the evil we did unto you. See, they wasn't converted. You see, when Paul was converted, he tried to go back. He said he wished he was cursed for his kindred's sake. Listen to him in the book of Acts when him and Barnabas was there. He says, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first been spoken to you, but seeing you put it far from you and judge yourselves worthy, unworthy of everlasting life, we turn to the Gentiles. We're going to tell somebody else this. For, had he, for so had the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light unto the Gentile, and that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many were ordained to eternal life, believed. What it was? As many as were ordained to. The only ones that actually believed that was those that were ordained to eternal life. He says... Paul said, go back to Romans, he said, I am not shamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation that is to everyone who believes. It's the power of salvation. It brings life in Christ Jesus for everyone who believes. To the Jew first, because they had the word of God first. They had the oracles of God. But it's to the Greek. In other words, also, it's to the Gentiles. For the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed but springing from faith and leading to faith. That is, it discloses and awakens more faith. As you eat it, assimilate it, it goes from faith to faith, ever-increasing faith. It says, as it is written and forever remains, 
The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And that's why he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Now how do I close this? Because the gospel is what's waking you up. The light. Notice when we get to the parts of the word of God, when we are preaching, we're not giving you the law because, you see, he gave them in that great commission, he says, teaching and preaching, making disciples. See, preaching gives life, but teaching gives you the fundamentals of what's being preached. Preaching plays life into that person. So, to conclude this, deliverance by the light bringer, which is Jesus Christ, because Satan's name was Lucifer, and he brought darkness, he brought a false light. Jesus is the true light that lighted every man that coming into the world. He says, therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood, that is the physical nature of man. He himself in a similar manner also shared in the same. He became a man and he walked as a man, but he didn't have the physical nature of sin. He was born of a woman. So that spirit within him, so that through death he might make powerless, uh, ineffective him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that he might free all those who through the fear of death were held in slavery all of their lives. That Look at Jesus and says, if, if Jesus did this and obeyed God as a man, I'm going to be obedient to every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And I'll die to self that he's going to resurrect me to new, to new life. And each day, I arise as a new creation in Christ Jesus and I be led by the Spirit obedient unto the Word of God. And it releases me from bondage to captivity to the world and the things of the world. He didn't die for angels. He didn't die for the men of the people that's disobedient to the world. But I actually believe He died for us that are obedient to the Word and live as He lived. To walk as He so walked. He died to, to release us from these addictions. These are same addictions and lusts that are in the flesh that we talked about in James. Uh, as I end this, let, let me say the, this part of this first verse that I didn't speak at that time is this. It says, but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life. He gives us greater grace, that increased faith, it says that as we as an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for salvation. In other words, the reason you live this way is He keeps giving and protecting you and it gives you salvation. That's why Job was able to, he truly believed God God put up a hedge around Job and Satan couldn't get to him and Job kept increasing monetarily, spiritually, physically, and in health until God removed the hedge. And that's what happened. That's what can happen to us in this life. He says in this life. That's where the prosperity gospel is right. In other words, he gives you and wants you with these things in this life but you have to walk in those things. You have to be an overcomer. You have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. 
Therefore it says, Therefore God opposes the proud and the haughty, but he gives grace to the humble. In other words, as those that's popping off to you, as those that's doing these things, God's going to knock them down pegs, whether they in the church or out of the church. They could be brought into bondage right in the church because they hadn't repented or turned or seen themselves as wretched, wicked, and evil. But if you humble yourself, God resists the proud. In other words, he gives you greater grace because we will have to bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, we will put to death. We will use the word of God to take the devil out. It's time for that. You remember I told you he didn't preach that the, the end of that second verse of the 61st chapter, the day of vengeance of the Lord? That word of God is going to bring judgment. That's word of God that we move the evil doers. We're going to have to spark, start speaking the word. But not a physical, but spiritually. That's the polish there. We're going to have to learn how to use the word of God. So we submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. But as he is overcoming the devil, stop pitying your enemy. Stop feeling sorry for your enemy. At some point of time, the enemy has to go. Stop pity because he's going to use Christianity against you and plead that you be merciful. But it's going to be a time that as Samuel did Agag. You remember God had told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites? But Saul saved Agag Whereas the prophet Samuel came in and he hacked Agag to death. He cut off his head and he killed Agag because Agag, the Amalekites, had attacked the rear of the children of Israel when they was going to the promised land. In other words, they had oppressed the, the home, the, the one that were weak, the elderly, the cripples, the one that was at the back of the flock. And God says, we will forever have warfare with the Amalekites. But Saul tried to save Agag. You will have to destroy Agag. You will have to put to death all of these desires, the carnal part. You will have to put anything that's carnal to death because it's at enmity with God. That's the only way the captives are going to be set free. To set them free. He's going to give you spiritual eyes to see. Do you have the ability to act upon that? Don't do as Saul did. Saul saved the best of the spoil to offer up. He says, well, we saved this, and then you're blaming on somebody else. Just like Eve blamed Adam, Adam blamed Eve. Notice that the serpent, serpent didn't say anything because God knows the truth, and sooner or later, the hammers will fall. So don't let people be pushing the blame further and further. Sometimes you have to nail a guy. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord,